the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Courageous Christianity, a public nonprofit ministry equipping Christian warriors for the spiritual battlefield. The intersection of our faith and the world is a battlefield strewn with debris of a fallen world that challenges even the hardiest souls. And yet, this intersection is the context of our faith. As courageous Christian warriors, we must navigate this difficult terrain in our personal walk and as we seek to bring Christ to those who are lost and struggling. As a colonel in the Marine Corps Reserves with numerous combat deployments, Richard Mendelow has walked dangerous ground in peacetime and in war. Join us as he and his guests shed light on this critical intersection on spiritual combat and on the rules of engagement for courageous Christianity. And here's your host, Richard Mendelow. Last week, we began a series entitled Friends with the World, Enemies of God. This series draws upon a verse from the book of James, chapter 4, which says, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Today's show is part two in that series. In part one, Pastor Jeff Neal, a former Marine infantry officer, spoke with us from Harlingen, Texas. He discussed relationships with God, our understanding of God's nature, our feelings about his love, and the choices that we make in response to our unique perspectives. And that show's available by podcast on kkht.com or at courageouschristianity.today. Today, we have another special guest on the show, Pastor Eric Huffman of The Story Houston, is joining us in the studio to dig into the role of men in God's kingdom and how masculinity and male leadership are under attack. Pastor Eric, welcome. Thank you, Richard. It's really good to be here, brother. As always, I'm joined by Christy Stratton, my most excellent and brilliant wingman. Most excellent. That's <laughs> yes. That's excellent. Most. I, I feel like Bill and Ted's excellent. <laughs> I know. My most excellent wingman. Folks, before we begin, I must remind you that as a colonel still serving in the Marine Corps Reserves, I have to preface my comments by saying that these are my personal views, and they do not necessarily represent the Department of Defense or the Department of the Navy. Pastor Eric, would you pray for us? I'd be glad to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to reflect on higher things and to go a little deeper in our thinking and our understanding. Uh, We want to be more courageous. We want to shun the ways of this world in search of something better. So we embrace your kingdom instead of just the ways that uh, the culture wants to take us. Lord, we embrace who you are instead of who we have been. And so open our minds and hearts, Lord, to your guidance and give us here in the studio words to say that would bless those who hear us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
That is a wonderful prayer because the truth of the matter is we seek to be changed. Mm. Friends, today we are going to address a very serious topic within the larger discussion of friends with the world, enemies of God. In fact, it is at the heart of the discussion. Uh, It's serious, and to be quite honest, it's complex. Uh, I'm going to try to sum it up as succinctly as possible before we dig in. It is these three things. Family is the building block of God's kingdom. God expects men submitted to him to lead their families. The devil attacks men to destroy families and to undermine the power of family. Does that make sense? Simple as that. And uh, when you said in your prayer, uh, let us not be who culture wants us to be, but let us be who you want us to be, you figure men are supposed to lead in that effort. Yeah. And things are being done in the world to preclude our doing that. And consequently, at the intersection of faith and the world, a lot of people are on their back foot for want of leadership. Absolutely. And uh, I think we're at a place, kind of a crossroads point in our culture where leadership is, especially for men, young men especially, have been conditioned to think um, to be assertive, to lead women and children anywhere is, is not, not only not their responsibility, but if they try, it's toxic. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, right or wrong, that's the message that they're getting. So we have to discern uh, what, we should, what we should do with that kind of message and how we should raise this generation of, of young men to think differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, plant your feet in what is right and stand firm. And to me, what that says is, wake up each morning, submit myself to God, ask him what he thinks is right for me to do, and then do that. And don't worry about the the blowback. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think we have to go back in time a little bit and understand how our culture made this turn and why. I think there were good reasons why the culture um, changed and needed to change. Uh, if, if you look back, things weren't perfect 50 years ago, 60 years ago. You know, when, when men were, it was more incumbent upon men or more understood that they would lead their families. Things weren't perfect. Things did need to change in some way, but we've overcorrected. Right. We've absolutely yeah. overcorrected to the extent that now um, we have this different vision of family that, that's really not family at all. No. Uh, it's funny what comes to my mind when people say things. Uh, two things came to my mind when you said that. Number one, when a pendulum swings, it always goes past center. Absolutely. And number two, when you're landing a jet on an aircraft carrier, you make power corrections and you always do it in threes. Hmm. So if you're above the glide slope, you take way more power off than you mean to in order to start the descent toward glide slope. And then as you get toward glide slope, you add back way more power than is necessary to be stable to yeah. catch that rate of descent. And then you quickly ease a little bit off so as to stay in that new place on the glide slope. So you make power corrections in threes. And corrections in society would uh, be helpful to go the same way, whereby Mm. things aren't right. We ask God what's right. He helps us. We initiate change. There will always be craziness, friction, transition associated with that change. And then we have to throttle back just a little yeah. bit to say, okay, whoa, turbo. Yeah, <laughs> that would be ideal. That yeah. would be nice. Uh, you said a couple things there that are lacking in culture now. We don't have, I think we're missing that third correction. Um, we've corrected, you know, we've gone one extreme to the other. 
and no one's uh, balancing this thing out because we, we're not asking God. Right. We're not asking God. That's what I was going to say. We've taken God out of the swing. <laughs> what, what I was about to say is in that jet, on that carrier, you know where the glide slope is. Yeah. It's not a glide slope you invent by yourself. The carrier says this is the glide slope. Right. Well, the Bible's the glide slope. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so as we've turned our backs on the Bibles, looking at young people, prayer taken out of school in 1962, for example, as mm-hmm. we've turned our backs on God's glide slope, and at the same time, the devil obfuscates. Oh, there's that word. We like that word. Covers <laughs> up. Is that his word? <laughs> he I love he it. loves that word. <laughs> yeah, because the devil, hey, this is not an accident. The devil intentionally confuses where the glide slope is. Uh, yeah. And so that third correction, in the absence of truth, truth outside ourselves, that yeah. third correction is hard to make. Right, because you're left to your feelings and your own devices, and that's never objective. It's never a true north. You know, without something objective and absolute like God or scripture, you lose all sight of where that middle ground is, where the yeah. truth is. It's very sad. You know, something I say, you know, we had a long talk about this and friends, you know that we talk about insurgency and insurgency has special rules and it's all kinds of things. And in the devil's insurgency, his rebellion against God, there uh, is much that's interesting, but something you see uh in every insurgency is that the people are caught in the middle mm. between the group that wants power mm. the group that has power the people are always caught in the middle in afghanistan and iraq we saw tremendously sad things as people were caught in these earthly power struggles and the same is true of men and young men caught in the middle um for example I'm walking in a building, ladies walking behind me, I'm going to hold the door. Not because she's a lady, but because... It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing (laughs) to do. Exactly. And guess what? If she was a man, I'd hold the door as well, because that's the polite thing to do. It's considerate. Right. And I refuse to not be me and to not have the code that I have, which is to be considerate and respectful and kind, because there's now some societal... uh, what's that word when something well, it's is a Jesus. shift and it's confusing it's our, our young men right now i deal with this at church all the time young men have no idea what's expected of them because part of the culture is um still traditional but most of the culture is not and so one guy i talked to went out on two dates in the same week and the first date uh he offered to do everything like a gentleman and the girl wouldn't talk to him after the date because it weirded her out. Like she didn't, she said, I didn't want a guy who pays my bills for me. Like I don't need a guy that picks up the check. Mm. And the second date he went on, he tried to learn from the first date and then acted like a little more of a jerk, I guess, and uh. didn't pay for anything, didn't open any doors. And she didn't call him back because she expects a guy to pick up the tab and open doors. Right. And so the people are caught in the middle. The tr- that's right. The trouble is when you lose sight of objectivity and what's just right with a capital R. Um, you're going to drift from what that person expects of me to what that person expects of me, and it's it's schizophrenic. Yeah, it's so confusing. Yeah. What was your advice to him? Well, obviously, I'm trying to disciple him. My advice to him is find a woman like the second one you did (laughs) who (laughs) actually has these experiences of um, being treated like a princess, being treated like a treasure, because that tells me her father loves her, and she knows what it means to, to love beyond just the feeling she knows what it means to choose love and to be loved and uh it just makes things like 
relationships and marriages easier. And, and a woman of God. A woman of God. She absolutely, yeah. yeah. It kind of broaches that topic we were talking about just before the show. Um, and again, you've heard me say this before, but because Christians, and in this instance, let's say Christian men, aren't outward about who and what they are, it causes a lot of situations where they're in conflict with the world. And my contention is, if you be the you that God wants you to be, and if you speak his values and that uh, you, that um, mode of behavior, if you're just out with it, then those who want no part of it will go away, and those who want it will come towards you. And by the way, you'll be surrounded with the people that uh, you want to be surrounded with, and those you don't want to be surrounded with, you won't. And it reminds me of the scripture, uh, Jesus speaking to the disciples, Matthew chapter 10, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, Mm -hmm. be as gentle as doves and as shrewd as snakes. And I always say, what kind of snake do you suppose God wants you to be? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, be a rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. Speak faith, live faith, act faith. And people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father. And by the way, those who want no part of it will stay the heck away from you. And just imagine if we all did that, how much easier things would be. And it goes back to something we've said on the show many times. When we do what Scripture tells us to do, it might seem hard, but things actually get easier. And we're going to talk about that a little more with Pastor Eric Huffman of The Story Houston. Stay with us. Hello, everyone. This is Christy Mendelow. As you may know, I'm host Richard Mendelow's wingman. You might wonder what a wingman is. Here on Courageous Christianity, it means I'm here to support the host of this show and our efforts to accomplish our mission. That mission is to equip Christian warriors for the spiritual battlefield, and we need your help to do that. Your tax-deductible support is what keeps us on the air and sustains our ongoing efforts. Courageous Christianity is a public, nonprofit ministry. If you'd like to support our mission and this ministry, you can do so by texting any amount to 281-800-4940. That's 281-800-4940. And for a donation of $25 or more, we will send you a signed copy of Richard's book, Right Makes Might, 40 Days to Courageous Christianity. You will absolutely love this devotional, and it will help you to be more equipped in your walk as a courageous Christian. If texting isn't a fit, you can also donate by going to CourageousChristianity.today. So text to donate to 281-800-4940 or go to CourageousChristianity.today. Friends, thank you. We are so very grateful for your listenership and for your support. Talking with Pastor Eric Huffman on... Courageous Christianity, and I was reading uh, Pastor Eric's statement of faith from the story Houston this morning, and I have to tell you, it is a beautiful expression of the Church of Jesus Christ and how we live that out in the world. And um, I came to meet Pastor Eric uh, watching some of his sermons while we were uh, in the hostage crisis of COVID. (laughs) And uh, as we talk about on the show a lot, 
as Christians, we must stand at the intersection of our faith and the secular world. And that is a place of opportunity, and it's also dangerous ground. And I just want to tell you, Pastor Eric stands there with courage and also with an amazing heart, as is reflected in their statement of faith. And so it was such a sermon where Pastor Eric talked about masculinity, and I wanted to ask you a little more about that. Sure, yeah. Just let you riff on that, because uh, it's that intersection that I think confused that young man and confuses uh, all of us. That's right, and thank you for that. Uh, That was a very generous intro uh, to this, but I'm happy to talk about this on the radio. It's easier on the radio, because nobody throws things at you. Um, this is the topic. Well, that... I can if you want me to. No, no, please. <laughs> no, we're excited. I'm, when I heard that sermon, I was like, you have to come talk to us oh, about this. Well, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about, although it's also what gets me the most trouble. Right. More people have left my church because of my um, my talks on masculinity than my talks on sexuality or abortion or any other stuff I talk about. Mm. Um, this just really bothers people for some reason, uh, folks that really want to, they've bought into the, the feminist meta narrative, um, and, and have decided to completely tune out anyone who questions it or challenges it. And I hold to scripture. I think God made us male and female, and I want to be generous and very careful about this and not give anyone the impression that I think one, that male is more important than female because God made man first. I actually, I think it's important to know the scriptures if we're going to talk about this and God made Adam and then he made a helper, it says, but the, as you know, Richard, the, the word for helper, you know what it means in Hebrew? Yeah. Yeah. Helpful opposition. Helpful opposition. That's right. It's is there. Yeah. And is there is also a word that is used for God in the old Testament. So it's not a demeaning word. Same word as for Holy spirit. That's right. And, and like, uh, here I raise my Ebenezer. If you know your hymns, like, uh, that's Ebenezer. Like this is the, the rock of the Lord, the stone of the Lord. Um, and so the, the Ezer is my help. Um, uh, my help is often referred to as God. And in this case, it's Eve. So it's from the beginning, this, this co-equal relationship where they are for each other and against each other when necessary, but they are a partnership. Now, when you take that and, and extrapolate out through the rest of Scripture, you see a, a running theme that men are created for one reason and women are generally created for another reason, and it works together in this complementary relationship, and we need each other. There's outliers. There's more effeminate men, and there's more masculine women from a, a, a stereotypical um, standpoint. And that's okay. That that's beautiful. That's a God thing too. That's fine. We don't we don't need everyone to be a prototype. Yeah, right. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Absolutely. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it too well. Be the person God wants you to be. That's right. The problem I have is when we take a concept that's a good and godly one, like masculinity, and we qualify it most frequently with a word like toxic. Mm. And uh, you don't hear anyone ever say, well, beautiful masculinity or helpful masculinity. All you, the only qualifier you ever hear for masculinity is toxic in our culture, right? That's think about, think about if you're, if you're under 30, the only thing you've ever heard about masculinity, that's a good point is that it's toxic and people will say, well, we don't mean all masculinity is toxic. Just, we're just talking about the version of masculinity that's toxic. Okay. Well, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think it is, whether you know it or not, it's a 
it's a concerted effort on a spiritual level to um, knock men around, to get us uh, to stop being the men God created us to be. Because the, the masculine traits that we're talking about are things that not only serve God well, they have served society well. Right. Like Richard, you know as good as anyone, when you're on the battle front, on, on the battlefront, you need the stoicism, um, assertiveness, uh, that kind of aggression. Well, what I know is that when things get crazy, yeah. which they do in combat, people want somebody to know and to direct. And the crazier things get, the more forceful slash black and white that direction needs to be. Mm. And whether it comes from a woman who knows her heart or a man who knows his heart, lead, follow, or get out of the way. As that Teddy Roosevelt quote says that I love, the best thing in any situation to do is the right thing. The second best thing to do is the wrong thing. And the worst thing to do is nothing. Mm -hmm. And I would like to chime in at this point to talk about this concept, because I believe that God speaks heart. I think... uh, He says numerous times in the Bible, he's not really that interested in your mind. He's more interested in your heart. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts, Mm. for example. And in that discussion, heart is a unique language. And who speaks that language better, men or women? And so when you're talking about the language of heart, women have an amazingly unique place as helpful opposition to men, because I think sometimes they will hear things differently. And when you bring that to the family and to the team, to the three-stranded cord where everyone is submitted, by the way, when scripture says women should be submitted, it also says men should be submitted. So everybody, don't panic, don't (laughs) scramble the overreaction team, everything is going to be fine. And so it's to that audience that you're speaking. And if we just say, we're all valuable. Nobody's more valuable than anybody else. We're all of value. But at the same time, we're different. And could I just make this one last point? This is bizarre to me. God created us different for very good reasons. Yeah. So what does society say? Mm. It says we're all the same. Be the same. Right. And then the very second society says we're all the same. It then backs itself up and says, but we're all different. And I get so confused. It's like, which is it? Is it diversity or equality or what? Well, the, the, the number one descriptor or name for Satan in the Bible is deceiver. And uh, he comes to deceive and confuse and confound. It's not about clarity for him. So Can I say obfuscation again? Obfuscation. Yes, there you go. Comes to obfuscate. You've got to look that way. That's going to show up in your word. next sermon. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. So please continue. I got... Uh, no, that's okay. I, I just... I, you know, the... the Along those lines, the whole point of the message was to respond to this thing I'd read where this professor from um, Leeds, University, Leeds Beckett University uh, said that uh, she's concerned that boys in schools are being treated more and more like just deficient girls. Mm. And wow. Yeah, they're just deficient girls, and that's why boys are, are in trouble more often, sent home more often, dropping out more often, diagnosed more often, uh, medicated more often, by far, for the kinds of behavioral issues that are now being called mental health issues. And so at a time when we need strong combat leadership for the spiritual warfare, which has 
overwhelmed us all, we have created uh, weak, indecisive, addicted, addicted, soft, yeah, video game junkies. Well, I'd like to take a military detour uh, and tell you a couple things that I think are so interested in uh, interesting in this discussion. And I'm trying to find my notes here because it gets kind of technical, and I said it would be complicated, but. Center of gravity is a very important term in insurgency because there is no geographical reference in insurgency. So the enemy has to draw their strength from somewhere, and the place where they draw their strength is center of gravity. The next term that you have to look at is critical capability, and the critical capability is the thing that enables the center of gravity. And then you have to say, okay, well, we always want to attack the enemy's center of gravity. How do we do that? We attack his critical capability. And how do we do that? Through the critical capabilities, critical vulnerability. Mm. So I'm saying critical a lot, but stick with me. If the center of gravity of God's kingdom is the family, and by all scripture, we know that the critical capability for a Godly family is a strong, submitted male leader in partnership with uh, his helpful opposition as a three-stranded cord, then if that male is the critical capability to enable the center of gravity, how do we attack that male? And what is his critical vulnerability? And what we know... as human beings, we, we contend in the flesh, and we exist on four levels at once, the spiritual, the cognitive, the physical, uh, and the social. And so how do I attack this guy? Well, he's got the same flaws as anybody else. I can go after the pride or any of those things. But there's another one, and that is in his most intimate, uh, important relationship that with his helpful opposition, I can attack him there. And as scripture says, husbands love your wives. It then says to women, wives respect your husbands. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say wives love your husbands. And so first Corinthians chapter 13 is all about what is love? How does love look? And men, that's what you're supposed to do because scripture says husbands love your wives. Well, women, it says women respect your husbands and that's a much easier thing on this battlefield where everything is, perverted, is as perverted as it is, and it's part of the devil's very uh, hmm. critical attack. Intentional, intentional effort there from the devil, for sure, to, to hit us where it hurts. And I'm not sure it's easier to respect than to love. It depends on who you're supposed to respect (laughs) and how respectable they are. Right, and that's where you get to the place that you were alluding to, which is that 50 years ago, guess what, men? If you want respect, then be respectable. Be somebody who an intelligent person can look at and respect. Right. And so now you know why the devil is so committed to this attack on men. Mm. And you realize that the only way we can weather such a decisive attack is if we stand as a team. And that's why he does his best to break up the team. Folks, stay with us. We're talking to Pastor Eric Huffman from The Story Houston. What a peace we often forfeit. 
They fought for our freedom and made sacrifices most of us can't imagine. And now, our veterans need your help. Hi, friends. I'm Christy Stratton, Richard Mendelow's wingman here on Courageous Christianity. You've possibly heard us talking about Freedom Alliance on the show. It's an organization near and dear to our hearts. Freedom Alliance is healing the wounds of war, including the devastating emotional injuries that cause veterans to reject God's love. Freedom Alliance is saving lives in military marriages. They rehabilitate wounded heroes, donate customized wheelchairs to amputees, and provide college scholarships to the sons and daughters of military heroes. I hope you'll join us in supporting our combat veterans by donating to Freedom Alliance today. I urge you to visit freedomalliance.org to learn more about their mission. We at Courageous Christianity know the team at Freedom Alliance, and we've seen them do the Lord's work. They are committed to helping ordinary Americans who've done extraordinary things. Please go to freedomalliance.org to make a contribution that will change a hero's life. Friends, since we launched this show, Christy Mendelow has been my wingman on Courageous Christianity. To our message of Courageous Faith, she adds her invaluable perspective as a transformational coach. She's the walking embodiment of courage and compassion, and she brings this to bear on those going through divorce in her own show, The Divorce Coaching Hour, which airs Saturdays from 1 to 2 p.m. right here on 100.7 KKHT, The Word. For those who are struggling in their marriages, she brings hope with guests who speak to the myriad counseling options available. For those who are going through divorce, she offers invaluable technical assistance. And for those who are coming out of divorce, she delivers a unique perspective on the opportunity for growth and change. If you are, or a friend or family member is, struggling in a marriage, contemplating or going through divorce, you need a wingman. You'll want to tune in each Saturday to hear from Christy and her guests. One thing is for sure, as I have learned over all the shows on Courageous Christianity and personally, you can count on Christy for truth, for a faith-based perspective, for compassion, and for insightful guidance. Tune in each Saturday. She'll be there for you as well. Don't miss the Divorce Coaching Hour every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 100.7 FM, KKHT, The Word. Friends, you're back with Courageous Christianity, and I'm Richard Mendelow. And I feel like that Saturday Night Live thing where he says, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not, or something like that. (laughs) Um, In the studio with us is Pastor Eric Huffman of The Story Houston, and he speaks a message of truth. And a lot of times the world doesn't want to hear truth. And the devil has done his best uh, to muddy the truth, to confuse the glide slope. And um, we are talking about masculinity in this fatherless, leaderless society, this spiritual warfare where we're engaged in combat and God wants decisive leaders, men and women, we have all been cowed. And it's interesting to me that society, although it doesn't want to tolerate any word of Jesus, it will tolerate discussion of Jesus the Lamb, but it's not so comfortable discussing Jesus the warrior mm-hmm. and Jesus the man. Right. And so tell us a little more about that. Well, we've absolutely softened Jesus in in our imagery. Right. If you think about any of the most popular images you see of Jesus in movies or uh, artwork even from the Renaissance, he's very soft, very pale, um, doesn't look like he's done a hard day's work in his life. What we know about Jesus is that he was uh, a builder, I mean, a tecton. We call him a carpenter, which is kind of right. Really, he was in construction and he wasn't a master uh, tecton. He wasn't an architecton. He was just a tecton, according to the Bible. And so that means manual labor. He, he was a, a, a worker. 
mm. for years, most likely from 12 when his dad was apprenticing him uh, all the way through when he went into full-time ministry at 30. Mm. Supporting his family, going to work every day before dawn, coming home after sundown, lifting heavy stones and, and in the, the hot sun of the Middle East. Like you can imagine what this guy looked like. Right. It's nothing like what they show you. Yeah. And so probably an intimidating presence. So probably sun sort of leathered by the, uh, his skin, leathered by the, by the sun and, and out in the elements all day, every day, probably pretty sinewy and ripped, you know, yeah. um, not a lot of protein in that diet. So maybe not bulky, but definitely in shape. And, and when he walked in, uh, he demanded authority, um, in most rooms that he entered. So, uh, I think we have the wrong image of Jesus from the start. And then we try to soften things that he says as well. Like the most popular, one of the more popular phrases that he talked about was turning the other cheek. And this is what we talked right, about yes. in the message, right? Yeah. That you heard. Um, and we've sentimentalized that. And one of my favorite theologians said, sentimentality is the greatest threat to the church, not atheism oh, wow. or anything else. Sentimentality, because we overly cinemize, uh, sentimentalize something like turn the other cheek. How do we do that? We think it means when somebody hits you, just shake it off and, and let them do it again. You know, it's like, yeah. just forgive them and let it go and, and show them that it's okay with you if uh, they hit you. And that's not at all what Jesus was saying. Jesus in those, he taught three things when somebody, when somebody strikes you on the face and then when somebody forces you to walk one mile, you go the, the second and, and, and then he says, when somebody sues you to take your shirt, give them the, the, the clothes off your back essentially. And we've taken all three of those and sentimentalized them, right? Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give them the shirt off your back. Yeah. I remember that in the sermon and it just really opened my eyes to Seeing what is, yeah, well, versus was... what has I've heard. <laughs> well, I'm reminded of when uh, I was still a little kid living in South Africa, and my parents were in the U.S. looking for a job, and uh, we were going to hopefully move. And my grandmother was staying with us in South Africa, and I was refusing to go to bed, and she spanked me. And I looked at her and I said, "That didn't hurt." And uh. she spanked me again, and I said, "That didn't hurt." And then she spanked me a third time, and I started crying, and I went to bed. So basically, That's turn the more other in line. <laughs> right. Because Jesus is actually speaking to real things that were happening to these people he's talking to. So they were actually getting knocked around. Mm. By who? Mostly by the Roman occupiers, the Roman soldiers. Okay. Like they would abuse that we know this about Pax Romana. Like it was peace by force. And so uh, that was happening. And what he's saying there is when they, when they hit you on the right cheek— Stand up and show them your left one as well. And essentially, you have to think about if someone hits you uh, with their with their right fist, like a like a hook shot. I'm glad you're in the studio doing this because I was trying to, to see it on the it. video. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but if somebody hits you on the right cheek, they have they have slapped you with their back hand because people hit with their right hands in, in the ancient world. They didn't hit with the left hand. It was a clean, unclean thing. So they back slapped you, backhanded. And so that's a, that's a means of disrespect. Jesus says, get up and show him your right cheek. He's saying, stand up in front of your abuser and say, hit me like a man. Punch me. Close mm. your fist and punch me. And so it was a challenge. It was a peaceful, nonviolent resistance. And this uh, continues through the second mile thing. He says, when somebody forces you to walk one mile, who does that? Roman soldiers did that. This was codified Roman law. A Roman soldier in an occupied land could force... Uh, a peasant to carry his stuff for a mile 
but no more than a mile. So Jesus was tough. And keep in mind, there's also the scripture I'm thinking about where he says, don't be afraid of somebody who can only kill your body. That's right. Be afraid of somebody who can kill your body, body and, and, your, soul. and soul in hell. Mm-hmm. And so he really is speaking a courageous message. It's one of the things I love about Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, is if you think about Jesus, the lamb, and if all of your church life is about Jesus, the lamb, then you come to this passage, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, do not suppose that I come to bring peace. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. sword yeah. I will put a man against his father. And then as you read through this, you're like, well, hold on a second. How does this square with Jesus the Lamb? Well, what the way it squares with Jesus the Lamb is we are supposed to put people to a decision about their very lives. Right. And the way we put people to that decision is first by our personal conduct, second by the words that we speak, and third when they uh, are brought to us at that intersection of faith in the world and we stand firm and they say, wow, this person is standing firm. Their God must be very valuable to them. Right. And I want to know more. Right. Absolutely. And when we talk about masculinity, especially for believers, Jesus must be our, our target because he, more than anyone else, expressed perfect masculinity. And he he expressed perfect humanity. So we should all be striving for Jesus, but in particular for men who are searching for the way to be. Um, The way to be a man is to be like Jesus. And um, you you don't have to be a bully. You don't have to be a coward. These two extremes are those pendulum swings we were talking about earlier. There's something else, something better that Jesus has for you. That I'm not saying take the middle of the road and just be a centrist your whole life. I'm saying there's some other dimension he has for us where when, when, for example, when Paul, as you quoted earlier, Paul told husbands to love their wives. He actually told them to love their wives as Christ loved the church, church. which meant total, just reckless abandonment. It meant self-sacrifice. That's what it means to love your family as a man. Mm. is to lay down your life, not as a victim. No. Jesus was nobody's victim. No. And that's the hard part. I get a little whiny about how men are mistreated and just blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But we're nobody's victim. When you're following Jesus, the world can say what it wants about you. But if you're trying to be faithful and loving the way he loves as best you can, you're nobody's victim. Jesus wasn't a victim on the cross. Here's the key is from the cross... I imagine Jesus didn't feel like loving anybody. Right. He was in total agony, totally humiliated, naked, hanging on the cross in agony. But he still loved us. And that reminds us that love is not a feeling. Right. Love is a choice. It's a choice. That we all get to make. And, And men that are trying to be like Jesus, we have to choose more and more to love our wives, our kids, our friends, our enemies as Jesus did. And not in some, sorry. Well, I was going to say, we're probably going to say the same thing, Mm -hmm. but real love, true love. And that's spoken to in the Bible. It's not, as I often say, hearts and flowers and puppy dogs and things like that. It's truth. That's right. And that's where that loyal opposition, I've read an article, loyal opposition, helpful opposition Mm -hmm. as the woman comes into play. Well, think about it. Um, It begs the question, what is love? And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells you what love is. Right. Um, 
But at the same time, the big picture on love is I want the best for you. Mm-hmm. And I want the best for you so much that I don't even count. And it's not about uh, who's superior, who's inferior, who's this, who's the next thing. That's all worldly nonsense. Right. The bottom line is I care so much about you that I will speak the truth whether you want to hear it or not. Yeah. And I will bring things to you that uh, might be painful or that might create strife. But these are important decisions, and that's what I am tasked to do, what we are all tasked to do in love, because when asked, Jesus broke it down quite simply and said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And so... And the sweet, sentimental kind of love that we have all internalized, because that's what Disney told us love is, and it's what (laughs) the Hallmark Channel, whatever, we've all adopted that, and that's what we think it means to love. Man, if you're listening right now and you're a dad... The quickest way to raise a house full of atheist kids <laughs> is to call yourself a Christian and love with just your feelings, to love in a sentimental way. Yeah. But if you lead your household in a way that demonstrates real love, like you just talked about, Richard, and, and sacrificial love, right. where your kids see you defending the defenseless and empowering the powerless and fathering the fatherless you know, right. in all kinds of ways— um, that's when they go, oh, he says he believes this stuff, and he does. Right. True he, leader. Yeah, that's right. Leads by example. And that's what I'm asked to do. Um, there's a, a stereotypical Marine Corps leader uh, in every Marine's mind, and sometimes people think it's the Jack uh, Nicholas, Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the you golfer. You can't handle the truth. You can't, they think that's the guy, but in point of fact, the guy the real Marine Corps leader who loves his men is concerned with their welfare so much that he trains them relentlessly and in combat he's so concerned he leads them fiercely Amen. and that is what we're talking about in masculinity stay with us folks we'll be back for the last segment with Pastor Eric Huffman of the Story Church Houston Friends, it's Richard, the host of Courageous Christianity. In addition to donations, sponsorships also help to keep us on the air and sustain our ongoing efforts. We'd love for you to join us in this mission. If you own a Christian business or an entrepreneur, or it's on your heart to support our efforts, sponsorship opportunities are available. You'll have the chance to have your message heard during each show and much more. If you want to join us in our mission to equip Christian warriors for the spiritual battlefield and support us with your sponsorship... Contact us at 281-656-1833 or email us at CourageousChristianity at gmail.com. Contact us today to apply as there are some requirements. So give us a call at 281-656-1833 or email us at CourageousChristianity at gmail.com. We're grateful for your listenership and for your support. I counted the streetlights as we headed up to the chapel to pay. Friends, welcome back. You are listening to Courageous Christianity, and we're talking to Pastor Eric Huffman of The Story Houston in part two of Friends with the World, Enemies of God. And we're talking about masculinity under fire and men under fire. And the reason why this is part two is because in part one, we talked about God's amazing love and the love of a father for his children and our heart's response to that love. 
And the next piece of that is uh, on the battlefield, the spiritual uh, warfare, we now have men who are charged with leading their families. And uh, as I have a wingman on the show, Christy Stratton, who keeps me pointed downrange, as Marines would say, so those men are part of a three-stranded cord with their helpful opposition and the women who help connect them to God and to prioritize their relationship with God. And we've talked about some pretty serious uh, military theory. We talked about the center of gravity, which is the place from which we derive all of our strength. And we've talked about uh, critical capability, which is the thing that enables our center of gravity. So if family is the center of gravity of God's kingdom, then men leading families, men submitted to Christ leading families is a critical capability. And then the enemy always wants to attack us, so they'll do that through critical vulnerabilities, and those are the ways they can attack those leaders. So I realize that this can be complex, but... For family as defined by God to function as the center of gravity for his kingdom, a man who is submitted in faith is the critical capability, and that's why the world is so relentless in its attacks on men and masculinity. That's right. Yep, I agree. And and I think it's important that we define just what we mean with leadership in the home, because I think leadership in the view of, of, of Christianity is slightly different than what the world might think um because to lead in the way of christ means to be the lead servant it means to serve you're Beautiful. the you're the number mm-hmm. one slave in your house like that that's what it, fantastic i think a lot point. of guys get a little confused when, when preachers and other people talk about you know, be the leader of your household it's it's not that you call the shots it's not that you have the checkbook it's not that you you know you say when we do this or that or the other it's it's that you lead in the way of Jesus by example. You are the servant of all. And uh, everyone else's needs come before your own. And everyone else's happiness comes before your own. And you do that joyfully, willingly. I think that's a really good distinction. Brilliant. Uh, because we, we don't have a good understanding of what a leader is. Yeah. And, you know, as we went out to break, I was talking about Marine Corps leadership. And uh, Marine Corps leadership is servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Number one, we serve the mission. And number two, we serve our Marines who accomplish the mission. And one of the things I love about the Marine Corps is I don't care how tired you are, how hungry you are, you stand at the back of the line. And when your Marines have eaten, then you'll get what's left. Wow. And that's the vision that I've always uh, had of what it is to be an officer, a servant leader, and to be a father. That's right. Uh, you give until you have nothing else to give, and then God will fill you up as as is necessary. That's right. You get what you need from God, not from your wife, not from your kids, not from anywhere else, but you get your daily bread from God. And so you you don't rely on other people to meet your needs. Brilliant. Well, I love it. Anything short of that is just the recipe for resentment. Right. Yeah, it's a parasitic relationship, uh, if not that. So you can't give away what you don't have. Right. And in order to give it away, you must be submitted to God. You must begin the day on your knees. Otherwise, you'll have nothing to give to those who mean the most to you and with whose welfare, spiritual and worldly, you are charged. That's right. And to me, that's what is so beautiful about godly masculinity. It's uh, so different from what people think of when they talk about toxic masculinity and things like that. I know that 
men have a problem in our culture. I know there's too much violence. There's um, too much sexual violence and uh, over-sexualization. There's all kinds of problems with men in our country, but I don't think the problem is masculinity. I think the problem is uh, it's a matter of faith. It's a crisis of faith, and it's also a problem of community. We're not initiating boys into anything anymore. So boys and men are not toxic. They're, they're uninitiated. They don't belong anywhere. That is a brilliant point. And by the way, in case you're wondering about the attack on men, it began in 1962 when prayer in school became illegal. Hmm. And that is the truth. And it brings us to our moment of truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as you know, in every show, we have a moment of truth where we look at Scripture, which informs our discussion. And we do this to remind ourselves that God's Word is our first refuge, that it's always relevant, and that it never fails. And by the way, the answer to every question should be, first and foremost, what does Scripture say? And our moment of truth today comes from the book of Acts, and in fact, it's three moments. In several instances in the book of Acts, when men are brought to faith... That faith changes their household, and I love this notion. And I think it provides further guidance for men that our faith and our submission to Christ should act through us to change our families and eventually to change the world. And it's what Pastor Eric is referring to. In Acts chapter 10, verse 33, Cornelius the centurion assembles his household to listen to Peter's explanation of the gospel. And Cornelius says, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And when I read this, I just imagine a father bringing his family to church on Sunday, not because he feels nagged or he has to, but because that is is his appointed place of duty. Hmm. And he stands before the pastor and he says, We are here to hear everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And in our second uh, moment of truth, our second scripture, Acts again, chapter 16, verse 34, the jailer is changed by his interaction with Paul and Silas, because you remember after their chains were broken and the the doors of the jail were opened, they did not leave. And when the jailer was going to kill himself, Paul said, no, don't harm yourself. And so the jailer was changed by their actions, and he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And I love that scripture because imagine us inviting God into our houses like this in everything that we do. And then again in Acts chapter 8, verse 8, Crispus is changed by faith, and the Bible tells us Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. So men, this is our role as the heads of our households, and nobody can take it from us unless we give it to them. So as Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that brings us to our quote of the day. And this is painful uh, to hear, to be quite honest. Alice Bailey wrote a 10-point plan for a new world order. And there is some debate as to whether she was saying that this is what she wanted to do or that if you wanted to destroy uh, the U.S. and establish a new world order, this is how you would do it. 
Whatever Miss Bailey's intentions, her first three points outline precisely what began in 1962 when prayer in school was outlawed. And her plan continues today throughout our secular world. And I'll quote point number one, take God and prayer out of the education system. Number two, reduce parental authority over children. Number three, destroy the traditional Christian family structure. And items 4 through 10 are just as sad and just as descriptive of our world today. So that is what the enemy is doing. The question is, what are we going to do about it? So last week I said that our choices determine our lives. I also said that the world wants to manipulate these choices. The devil's rebelling against God, and that's called insurgency. And if you remember, insurgency is a form of irregular warfare, and irregular warfare seeks influence over a population. Well, you are that population, and your choices are evidence of what is influencing you. So, if we understand what the devil is doing in his insurgency and his attempts to attack God's kingdom, then that determines what we must do. He is attacking family by attacking men, the critical capability, and we must make choices which thwart his plans. How does that look? First and foremost, men... Submit to God, love your wives, and be people who are worthy of respect. Lead your families in faith. And if you want a homework assignment, it is to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and understand what that scriptural love looks like, and then to do those things as servant leaders. It starts with us. And wives, respect your husbands. Help them to live lives which put God first. That relationship is the fountain from which everything flows. And then, as a team, together, a three-stranded cord, focus on what God wants for your family, and again, make choices accordingly. And that's Courageous Christianity. I want to thank Pastor Eric Huffman of The Story Houston. Pastor Eric, uh, it's a courageous walk, and you're standing there at the intersection in Mm -hmm. this critical conversation and many like it yeah well thank you for having me it's uh, it's been a lot of fun and an honor to be here and I'm, I'm grateful for the mission you're on um and y'all are on together christy and and um and, and i think it's so necessary because it's war out there it, and our weapons are not of this world yeah. you know our weapons are our spiritual ones and we need to know the war that we're fighting we need to know the enemy that we're up against otherwise we're just going to be lost in it. And if you think you're not in a war, if you think you can say neutral like Switzerland, uh, you're probably losing it. Um, Absolutely. And That's... so it's, it's a matter of being prepared. To and how do, how do our listeners find you? You can find my church, The Story, at thestory.church. And that's the easiest way that to get easy. a hold of it. Thestory.church. Thestory.church. Friends, thank you for joining Christy and me today. We hope you'll join us each and every week here on 100.7 KKHT, The Word, at kkht.com or on CourageousChristianity.today, where you can listen to previous episodes by podcast. We are honored to walk with you in Christ. God bless and semper fi.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.